What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a Saturday edition of Will and Loro's uh, weekly sports update. I'm your host, Loro Antonio. It's for the Loro Antonio Sports Talk podcast show. Please like us on Facebook at the Loro Antonio Sports Talk podcast page. So, Will, how are you doing today? How's your Saturday going? First of all, please tell your father I said happy Father's Day and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, and including my, my grandpa and my dad as well. Thank you, Loro. Uh, doing just great, and uh, I'll, I'll be sure to pass on the message. Appreciate that. Yeah, to Will, uh, to Will Hedges Jr., right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the second. <laughs> so you're the second, right? Correct. So your dad's name is Junior. But... Oh, no, my dad is the first. Oh, okay, but if you had a kid, then you could have, you could have Will Hedges the third. Yeah, I could. Uh, that's been talked about between me and my dad before. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the first. So you're the. So he's the, he's a junior, right? I'm the junior. Oh, but you're. But you just go by William Hedges the second. Yeah, uh, I put the second because I don't want people call me junior. Oh, okay. I understand that. So let's get started right now with some good stuff. So, again, this is this is something I have to get out there. So game six of the NBA Finals. So. We were going to preview Game 7 today, but let's recap it all, the NBA Finals. So, what were your overall thoughts on the 2019 NBA Finals? The Warriors, I thought, they would have won Game 6 if if Klay Thompson and KD and Boogie were healthy. But they just got hurt, plain and simple. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if, if the Warriors were 100% healthy, you know, it's when it comes to sports, it's not fair to to dwell on what ifs, but I'm I feel like we all know if the Warriors were at full strength that uh, the 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 swings would have been turned slightly. Uh, it's the uh, the Warriors still put up a hell of a fight, and they were practically shorthanded. I mean, I I feel that the Warriors would have won Game Six if Clay didn't tear his uh, ACL, which sucks for him, poor guy. Uh, you know, getting injured in the final game of the playoffs. Uh, he would, Clay Thompson was balling uh, before he went out, and honestly, even after he left, the Warriors still hung in there. <laughs> like it was so close, but the Raptors just had more, um, more guys that they could rely on, count on. Uh, you know, without Clay, without KD, and you know, it 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 was just too hard for the Warriors to overcome. They still put up a good fight, though. Yeah, they still put up a good fight, but on the Raptors' side, talk about Kawhi. I think he's now your two-time NBA Finals MVP. He won it on both on two different teams and both different conferences. It tells me that already he's going to remain a Toronto Raptor, and I think that the I think the Raptors, from what I've seen, they're going to be a good basketball team for a very long time. Yeah, as long as they don't. You know, make make mistakes that they have in the past. Uh, the big thing is keeping Kawhi. Uh, obviously, we all know that Kawhi has said at some point in his career he wants to play in his hometown of Los Angeles. But the key for Toronto is making sure that doesn't happen, at least for another couple of years, keeping Kawhi there as long as possible. Uh, you know, just making smart uh, executive decisions for management and, you know, keep you know, keeping the core intact and adding guys that can help uh, help them stay at the top, you know, because, I mean, they're, they're going to have to keep their uh, – be on their toes because we all know Milwaukee's rising up and 
obviously once Giannis gets more experience and those guys, if they're able to keep them, that, that, that should probably be, that's probably going to be the, the top uh, conference rivalry going forward or the, the two heavyweights, them and the Bucks. So uh, yeah, the, the Raptors need to do everything they can and make sure quietly stays with them for at least another four or five years. Oh, absolutely. So with that being said, uh, let's talk about now. Um, let's go on to our 2019 NBA draft preview slash mock draft. So I have my list of players that I want on my mock draft. So I'm going to pull that up on my phone right now, ladies and gentlemen. So let's get right to it. Um, let's start off with picks one through five. So I'm going to go first. So. With the first pick in the 2019 NBA draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select uh, Zion Williamson from Duke. And I have a draft trade, my first draft trade, with the second pick in the 2019 NBA draft. The Phoenix Suns move up to get Ja Morant, a point guard from Murray State. And with the third pick in the 2019 NBA draft, the New York Knicks select DeAndre Hunter, a small forward from UVA. And I have the New Orleans Pelicans trading. I have the Lakers trading the number four pick to get Anthony Davis to the Lakers. And the Pelicans get the number four pick in return. And with the number four pick in the 2019 NBA draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select Zion's teammate, R.J. Barrett, a small forward and shooting guard from Duke. And with the fifth pick in the 2019 NBA draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers select a backcourt combo for Colin Sexton, Jared Culliver, a shooting guard from Texas Tech. That is a that is definitely a, a scenario that could happen. As we all know, uh, I the um, it remains to be seen what the what, what can happen. I mean, this draft can go many ways. Uh, it could either stay the same, or there can be chaos with trades. I. I kind of think from what I've seen right now, I mean, your scenario is very realistic. Uh, I, I think from what I've seen, obviously, obviously Zion's going to go one. It's the most, un, it's, it's, it's the most guaranteed slam dunk number one pick since, <laughs> since we can remember. Uh, so yeah, Zion should go to the Pelicans at one at two. Uh, I could see Memphis trading, but, for the sake of them wanting to have a, have a contingency plan after Mike Conley is gone. I, I think they might stay with that pick and go with uh, Ja Morant to to be the um, to pair him with um, Jaron Jackson Jr. to make a solid duo. And at three, I actually say that uh, the Knicks keep that pick and go with R.J. Barrett. With the fourth pick, I actually see the Lakers. I want to say they keep it, but for some reason I feel like they're going to trade it to New Orleans and the Lakers are going to do that for the Anthony Davis package. So then the Pelicans will get that pick. And with that one, um, I could see them honestly going with, mm, I'm going to say Hunter, uh, John Dre Hunter from Virginia. And then with the fifth pick, I see the, uh, Cavs getting Jarrett Culliver to pair him with Colin Sexton. All right, so let's go six through ten now. So with the sixth pick, the Memphis Grizzlies trade back. I have them getting Brandon Clark, a center from Gonzaga, because I think they need somebody to succeed Marc Gasol. I think 
I think that's why that's why I have the Grizzlies trading back because I don't think they need a point guard at the moment. I think Mike Connolly will still be their face at point guard for Memphis. So at the seventh pick, I have the the cut the the Bulls selecting Cam Reddish. Obviously, they need shooting help like the Lakers. And with the eighth pick, the Hawks select Kobe White. And with the ninth pick, the Washington Wizards select Nasir Little. And with the tenth pick. The Atlanta Hawks select Jackson Hayes. Okay. Um, so, going on the scenario, I had uh, – I'm actually going to see um, that the Suns – because I, I could see this guy going to the Lakers too It's in, any, in a draft scenario, but in this scenario I have the Suns getting uh, Darius Garland, uh, who unfortunately – Unfortunately, had um, injury woes that dropped his stock a little, but I think he would be a great addition to a, a young Phoenix team that could hopefully be on the rise. Uh, with the seventh pick, I'm going to have the Bulls draft Kobe White from North Carolina um, because he just has lots of good upside, and Chicago just needs <laughs> they need they need they need good players for the future and. With the Hawks' first pick, uh, number eight, I have them getting Jackson Hayes, uh, just because I, I, his athleticism and length is incre- is really incredible, and I think he, Atlanta wants to make sure that they don't have to worry about him not falling their next pick, um, which he probably wouldn't. And then with the ninth pick, I have um, the, the Wizards getting Cam Reddish, uh, just because. You know, Reddish brings lots of scoring capabilities, and Washington, you know, they they have some issues with personnel they have right now if they're going to keep them or not. And then with the tenth pick for the Hawks, I have them Clark for Gonzaga. Uh, he's a great shot blocker, rebounder, defender. It it'll help with because the, the the Hawks already have a high powered offense, but they need defense. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's go picks 11 through 15 through 14 now, since that's the end of the lottery round. So Timberwolves select Darius Garland. The the Hornets select Siku Demoya. The Heat select Kevin Porter Jr. The Celtics select Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And, and the Celtics select Nikhil Alexander-Walker. That's the end of the lottery round. Uh, with the 11th pick, I have the Timberwolves getting Siuko Duamba. Um, he's crazy. <laughs> people, people seem to love these, those new, these, this new trend of drafting, drafting the top players from Europe. Uh, they, they, they're superstar potentials. The 12th pick, I have the Hornets drafting Nasir Little. 13th, I have the Heat drafting Rui Hachimura. With the 14th pick, I have the Celtics drafting Tyler Harrow. And with the 15th pick, I have the Pistons drafting Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Well, let me tell you, for example, speaking of European players, your Mavericks drafted Luka Doncic, and I expect him to win the Rookie of the Year award. He should. I know people are debating between him and Trey Young, but Trey Young didn't really catch fire until like the second half of the year. Luka was doing it all year long. All right, so now let's uh, go to pick 16 through tw- 15 through 20. So, so the Pistons select Cameron Johnson. 
The Magic select Ty Jerome. The Cel- the Nets select Romeo Langford. The Pacers select Ruchi Arauma. The Spurs select Jonte Porter. And the Celtics select Bole Bole. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I think I, I mentioned it in, for, like, the Pistons. They get Alexander Walker for the Pistons. Uh, Orlando Magic, I have them getting Romeo Langford. Uh, the Hawks with one of their many first round picks. Uh, number 17, I have them getting PJ Washington. Uh, the Pacers, Cameron Johnson. The uh, Spurs, I have them getting Mifondu um, Kebingo. And the Suns, I have them getting uh, Keldon Johnson. All right. So now with that being said, uh... Now let's talk about let's talk about picks twenty one through thirty. So the 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 Thunder select Grant Williams, the Celtics select Taylor Horton Tucker, the Jazz select Keldon Johnson, the the Phil- the Sixers select Matisse Thybul, the Blazers select Tyler Hero, the Cleveland Cavaliers select Lukets Dork. And the Nets select Nicholas Claxton. The Warriors select Chris Wilkes. The Spurs select Gozab Bedice. And then the 30th pick, the Milwaukee Bucks select P.J. Washington. Um, so for me, starting with the um, Thunder, I'd be, I don't think he should fall this far, but he might just because of his injury woes. I have the under getting uh, Bole Bole at 21. Then the Celtics, I have them getting Goga Bitazzi. Then at 23, I have Jazz getting Atiz Tibol. That's how I say his name. Uh, 24, I have the 76ers getting Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, 25, I have the Trailblazers getting Ty Jerome. 26, I have the Cavs getting Nicholas Claxon. 27, I have the Nets getting Grant Williams. 28, I have Warriors getting KZ Pala. 29, I have the Spurs getting Luka Manic. And with the 30th pick, I have the uh, Bucks getting Bruno Fernando. All right. So now that being said, uh, let's. I have questions for you. So do you think the, the latest KD injury will hurt his free agent stuff? Get AD in the in a trade before the draft, or which Laker and which Laker players off limits in trade talks other than Kuzma and Ball? Uh, given that he's not super old yet, he's only in his early thirties. I don't think it'll hurt Katie's status. And honestly, the Warriors are saying that they that they're going to offer Katie a max contract. So I mean, he. He could very well just get offered that deal and then just sit this next year and not have to worry about anything. He's already there. Um, and the Warriors are already over the luxury tax penalty. I need to. I I want to make sure that they figure out that situation. I think what the Warriors' plan is they're gonna they're gonna rely on their their new uh, arena bringing in enough revenue to offset that because they're they they already have sellout crowds at their current state place and they're. Their new billion-dollar arena that's coming, that's going to open up uh, this upcoming season is certainly going to make them money. I 
because they're they're planning on offering KD and um, Clay Max deals, which is insane because they are over the luxury. But I mean, if they make enough money from sales because of uh, what their new stadium, new arena brings, then it's it's doable. But I don't think KD should um, should should have to worry too much. Everyone knows when healthy, he's still the a top three player in the league, and uh, obviously this is an unfortunate injury, but. You know, with the, with the right doctors, the right rehab, I, I think he should, I think he should be fine. So I don't think that'll hurt his free agent stock. Uh, I could see the Lakers being the, the biggest players for AD because I thought it was going to be Boston, but um, if AD yeah. goes to Boston, it's not long term. Like he'd only go there for like a year, if that, or two years, which Boston wouldn't want if they're trading everything for him. They want him to stay there. So I think the, with that being said, the Lakers. I think I've emerged as the top team aside from the Knicks to be players to get AD. And if, if it is the Lakers that are the most likely team, it's hard to say what trade package would be suitable. Who's off limits. Who's not. I think for certain, the only player I can see that's a hundred percent off limits uh, in any trade would be Kuzma. Absolutely. I agree with that. Lonzo ball should be too as well. He should be, but, his name keeps floating up because his his dad and other rumors, other things and whatnot. But I I would try to keep Ball and Kuzma because you know both. Lonzo Ball likes playing with LeBron James. He does. Uh, it, it just it might not be up to him. It might it, it, the, the the management might <laughs> at, if they if they see AD and see a chance, they might just sweep in on it without thinking twice. All right, so now that being said, uh, let's go to the NFL now. So we talked about Carson Wentz's contract last week. So today we're going to preview what's in store for the 2019 season for the rest of the NFC East teams. We already talked about the Cowboys. We'll start with the Eagles in just a minute. So um, let's get to some sad news first before the good news first. So we know that yesterday, the on Thursday night, the Denver Broncos mourned the loss of their owner, Pat Bolin who passed away on Thursday night of complications of Alzheimer's disease. And we know from what I heard that the Denver Broncos have found a successor to, to take over the ownership of the Denver Broncos. And that's Pat Boland's daughter, uh, Brittany. Yeah. Everyone around here is, is feeling a little, and actually this, this upcoming Tuesday, uh, over at mile high stadium, they're going to be holding a tribute for him. Uh, funeral funeral service. Uh, I don't know if they're holding his funeral at the stadium. I think they're just having um, everyone come out there and they're going to show highlights of everything he did. I think his actual funeral will be somewhere else, but it, it's, it's going to be a, a, a more of a memorial service. Uh, just, just at, to... uh, at Bronco Stadium in Mile High. So is it going to be traffic in, in on Denver on Tuesday? I would say there's going to be a, a hefty amount of traffic in that area. Because um, since you're from Denver and you, you're closer to where the Denver Broncos play. Yeah, the – Without traffic, the stadium's like 20 minutes away from me, not even. So I would say if I wanted to drive there that day, it would probably take me three or four, three or four times that amount. Yeah, but it's probably going to be uh, traffic. And, and from what we talked about with the, with the Denver Broncos ownership succession, um, for now, even though Brittany Bolin is going to groom herself into the ownership of the Broncos, for now, Joe Ellis, is gonna, Joe Ellis has the team control. Yeah, it's it's all about the transition. Be- he 
Boland Trust. It, but it's, since it's all Boland, for- since Boland, Mr. Boland relinquished his team control, he gave it to Joe Ellis for now. Just for now, until the daughter can be groomed and ready for it. Uh, but Brittany Boland is is going to be the one that will be the owner. They already picked. They already. The Broncos have picked the successor, but for now, Joe Ellis is overseeing the day-to-day operations. Yeah, and it, it's it's a good thing just just to make sure she's ready when she takes over. Yeah, because Joe Ellis is an experienced person and he's smart. Right. So, so you said Tuesday night will be the memorial service for Pat Bowling at the uh, at the Mile High Stadium. I don't know if it's. Um... What time it starts? I, I think it's I think it's in the evening, uh, evening or night. I, I just know I saw the the update on the the news channel a, a little while back. I just saw it on the Denver Post that the Broncos are hosting a public tribute for for Mr. Boland on Tuesday at their stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I was thinking was because before there were funerals, there are funerals at stadiums that they brought the casket to this to the stadium. So that fans sit up in the stands while the family sits up close. I could have seen that, but <clears throat> I, I think sometimes it's just too hard to do nowadays. Um, it teams they, teams could choose to do that if if they have the ability, but I think I think mostly it's just the tribute, and then the funeral is going to be held uh, somewhere else. Yeah, probably at a church or something. But I think it'll be broadcasted live in your local. Uh, Denver stations. Probably. Yeah. So, so now that being said, um, so that being said, uh, now let's talk about the reaction to Kyle Rudolph's extension with the Vikings. So what were your thoughts on that one? Uh, I think it's a good thing just because, you know, it cleared up some cap and, uh, you know, it it was something that uh, just was lingering, and also it makes sure that there's no drama. I mean, obviously the Vikings have Irv Smith Jr. in the waiting, but at the same time, they uh, they might want to have they, they like their new the offensive coordinator that took over last year for their disastrous start. He likes employing two tight end sets, so having uh, Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith. Uh, on the field at the same time. It's, it, it was a win-win for both of them. So we also talked about uh, last week, we talked about the Carson Wentz extension. So you told me your thoughts on that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's as long as he's healthy, it's, it's a, it's a decent deal for the, for the team and for him. And then let's talk about now, uh, G- Gerald McCoy to the Panthers. We I, let's talk about that now. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah, Daryl McCoy. Uh, it's it's a good move. Um, he stays in his division, so obviously he can. He's familiar with everyone he's played against uh, the other teams, and I he he's with a good defensive court, defensive minded coach in Ron Rivera. Yeah, absolutely. So with that being said, uh, now let's talk about let's talk about now since we already talked about the Cowboys uh, off season outlook. Uh, season preview so let's preview the Philadelphia Eagles season along with the Giants and the Redskins so let's start with the Eagles first so my question for you about the Eagles is do you think Carson Wentz is going to stay healthy for the entire 2019 season I say so because he is a candidate 
he's a big time candidate to win the NFL's comeback player of the year award this year. He's my favorite to win that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, he could win comeback player of the year this year. Uh, but I mean, like I, he played a lot of games last season. I, I, I think a candidate that I would want to like inch more towards because the, this guy missed most, pretty much the whole season would be uh, Jimmy G. But you know, Carson Wentz could probably very well be a candidate just because he was very he, he wasn't so too effective last year and you could tell the injury he had that was still hindering. I I I have Jimmy I'm just leaning towards Carson Wentz. You have Jimmy G as what? I have part of my to win the comeback player of the year for it. Okay. So now let's talk about now let's talk about now um, let's now uh, the favorite Philadelphia Eagles. So, what was your favorite offseason move for the Philadelphia Eagles? Uh, they made a few, they made a couple of good ones. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to say. Trades, etc. But I'll go first. I like the reunion with Deshaun Jackson and trading for Jordan Howard. Yeah, uh, those those were those were good ones. I'm gonna have. To, I, I'll say, just trade getting Deshaun Jackson back is one, and then for me, the other one would probably be uh, extending Jason Kelsey. Yeah, Jason Kelsey is an important piece to that core of the of the Philadelphia Eagles there of their yeah. offensive line. He's a vocal leader for them, so it's good to have him on that team. And then and then my favorite draft picks for the Eagles, although they they got developmental pieces on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with Miles Sanders and Andre Diller. I think the Diller one was really good just because a they 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 jumped the Texans who everyone knew wanted Dillard and uh yeah, the Sanders one was Pretty good too, and I'll also throw in the uh, Arcegio Whiteside draft pick because uh, he's he's a big body receiver, great red zone weapon. So that's just going to make Carson Wentz uh, a lot more, uh, give him a lot more options in the red zone. So my breakout rookies for the Eagles this year is uh, Miles Sanders and Andre Dillard. My breakout players on the Eagles this year: Carson Wentz, Dallas Goddard, and Fletcher Cox. Uh, for uh, for breakout rookies, I'll say Miles Sanders and um, Arcadia Whiteside. I I don't know if Dillard's going to get a lot of. He's the heir, he's going to be the heir for Jason Peters. So if Peters gets hurt, the Dillard probably would be a breakout. But I don't know if uh, if uh, Dillard's just going to be the uh, the guy on the, waiting on the bench for Peters to get hurt, or if they're what they're going to do. Um, and then for breakout players in offense and defense, offense, I'm going to say. Probably on offense, I'm going to go with um, Alshon Jeffrey just because he's shown in the past that he could be a big-bodied guy to take over games. He's just had some injury woes and inconsistent plays sometimes. And then on defense, I'm actually going to say it's a uh, uh, a, t- a corner that that um, got hurt, but you know has potential. Ronald Darby. Yeah. So 
So that being said, uh, let's talk about the Eagles draft grade. I give them a nice B in this one. Their first three, four picks were really good, so I'll, I'll give them a B plus. And then to look, to break down the Eagles schedule, I look forward to when the Eagles play the Patriots for that Super Bowl 52 rematch. Yeah, uh, that'll definitely be a matchup that um, people will be talking about. I, I'm going to say – the, the, the thing is, the, the NFC East is going to be come down to Dallas and uh, Philly. So that, that first matchup uh, Sunday night, week seven, between, at, at Dallas is going to be huge. Game against the Patriots is big. And uh, week 16 uh, against Dallas, you know, that could decide who's going to win the division. So those, those, those are some important games. And then my projected record for the Eagles this year, I have them going 13-3 and three and winning the AFC, the, the NFC East. Yeah. I have the Eagles winning the division this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, I it'll, it'll be close. It's going to be like a game or two separating them and Dallas from winning the division. Uh, it's a toss-up right now. Yeah, it's always a toss-up. It's a very tough division. So I have the Eagles winning it this year because arguably Carson Wentz is the better quarterback in that division when healthy. Dak Prescott's good, but he could do better. He can improve, and that's the beauty of it. You know, we've we've seen what the best that Carson Wentz has to offer, and, you know, when he's at his best, he's pretty good. But we still haven't seen the best that Dak can do yet, which is, is kind of scary considering Dak's done well playing average at times. So what's your projected record for the Philadelphia Eagles this year? If Carson Wentz stays healthy, I see Philadelphia going 11-5. Oh, okay. So now let's talk about the New York Giants. My question for you is, when will Daniel Jones take over the reins as the Giants starting quarterback over Eli Manning? And is Dave Gettleman on the hot seat? I see Daniel Jones getting him a commitment. This could change because crazy things happen in the NFL and the Giants are a funny organization, so we don't know yet. But I, I see Daniel Jones making his first start, I, I want to say week 14, week week 13, week 14 of the season. Um, it, it might be the second half, but again, I don't know. Like Eli could get hurt or Eli could be like absolute crap the first couple of weeks and Daniel Jones could start before – you know, midway point. But I, I want to say it's around week – between weeks 12 to 14, he should, he'll probably get his first start. And I don't know if I'd say Gettleman's in the hot seat. Um, they are in rebuilding mode, so management has to accept that. Um, but, but they obviously want to show that the players that he picked and the moves that he's made are paying off. So as long as there's some sort of growth, some sort of uh, – progress then I think you should be fine yeah I think I think the Giants are just rebuilding so just wait and just continue to wait and see on on their rebuilding process and we'll go from there right so now uh, let's talk about my favorite draft picks of the Giants I'm not really the fan of the Daniel Jones pick but I really like the pick of uh, Dexter Lawrence and DeAndre Baker. Yeah, they had some good picks in the in the first round. I, I, you know, 
I think they kind of reached on Jones. I, I'm pretty sure that Jones would have been there for the, their second overall pick. I I really think that the Giants should have drafted Josh Allen when he was there, but oh well, that's 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 their decision. Um, I yeah, it they they got some good players in the draft, but I don't know like what kind of impact they have. I I was I was kind of surprised with the Dexter Lords thing, but I mean at the same time, Gettleman likes big defensive linemen. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about uh, let's talk about now. Um, let's talk about now. Uh, my favorite offseason move for the Giants was Golden Tate, but the dumbest offseason move was when they lost Landon Collins and when they traded away OBJ. Yeah, um, I did like the Odell Beckham. I, I, I mean, not the Odell. I liked the Golden Tate signing because, uh, you know, he. He still can play a little. Uh, also, signing Marcus Golden on the, on the edge rusher, it's a solid move. But, yeah, letting letting Beckham – like trading Beckham, also Vernon, who's been a solid uh, player for them. And then, let it, like, letting Collins go, and then he ends up with a division rival. That's going to be bad moves. Yeah, absolutely. So, so with that being said, um, let's talk about – my breakout rookies for the Giants this year. I think it's going to be Dexter Lawrence and uh, Dexter Lawrence and what you call this? Dexter Lawrence and DeAndre Baker. Yeah, I mean the Giants put an emphasis on defense, so those two guys are definitely going to get plenty of opportunities to to, to come out and play. And then, um, and then, and then. Uh, and then my breakout players on the Giants this year is Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, and Lorenzo Carter. I do. I, I did like Lorenzo Carter coming out of college, so I, I definitely think he should he should have a big uh, a big uh, a big jump. And then on offense, Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram's just had too much too too many inconsistencies and injuries. He he's such a talented player, but he needs to stay healthy. And obviously, having a mediocre QB doesn't help, but. I, I think Evan Ingram will step up now, now that there's plenty of opportunities because no more OBJ. Yeah, absolutely. So now with that being said, uh, the game to highlight on the Giants schedule is when they play the Patriots League 6 and their matchups against the Redskins. Yeah, um, that those Redskins matchups for sure. I The Patriots game is big. I'm, I'm going to say um, – I think November 24th when they go to Chicago because last year the, the Bears played the Giants and the Giants pulled off a, an incredible upset even though um, the Bears, like, they were, they were shocked. So I, I kind of want to see some um, see if the Bears still hold a grudge because of that. And then I'm going to say the Giants um, – Monday night game against the Eagles because every time the Giants and the Eagles play each other, there's always some crazy stuff that happens. All right, so my projected record for the Giants, I think they could take the step forward. I could see them going six and ten. Depending on how the whole QB thing goes, I'm gonna say five and eleven to six and ten. And if it doesn't go well, then it's two and fourteen. Yeah, I mean, I, the Giants they. 
it's they they drafted their future QB right now, but honestly, they 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 might end up having a top three, top four draft pick next year. We'll wait and see on that. So, with that being said, um, let's go to the Redskins now. So, my question for you is: Who do you think's the Redskins' starting quarterback going forward? Dwayne Haskins, Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, or Alex Smith? And I'll tell you my pick first, who I think's the Redskins' starting quarterback going forward and in week one against the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, I I know that the management had that whole rift between, you know, ownership and coaching on who they wanted to draft, but Dwayne Haskins deserves a chance to be the starter just because, honestly, talent-wise, I think he's better than any other QB. I if he is the starter, good for him that he should be the starter. I just don't know if the Redskins are going to screw that up and somehow put Case Keenum there. I hope they don't, but the Redskins have made mistakes before when it comes to QBs. Absolutely. So with that being said, um, now uh, let's talk about – so I think I'm picking Dwayne Haskins because I'm going to say to Redskins Nation that – the Redskins finally got it right with their quarterback situation with Haskins because you're going to get something from him that you didn't see out of RG3. Yeah, and, I mean, we could have seen it out of RG3. It's just the Redskins didn't manage that injury very well. They they rushed him back, and they didn't monitor him properly. Uh, Haskins is a better thrower, better pocket passer. Um, honestly, he – he is. He does. I think he has a bright future going for him. I think the biggest issue now is Washington needs to give him some weapons because most of most of the Redskins receivers are unproven or still developing. So he he he's. I think I think that's going to be the focus for the upcoming years for Washington is putting some um, putting some talented playmakers around him. So, but you agree with me about Haskins being the starter week one. Well, he should be. I just don't know if the Redskins will be the smart, make the smart decision and let him be the one. I think, I think they will. So now let's talk about my favorite offseason move for the Redskins was when they got Landon Collins and Dominic Rogers Cromartie. But I didn't think they made any dumb offseason moves because I think they were pretty active this offseason. But my favorite draft picks for the Redskins were, of course, Haskins and Sweat, and then my breakout rookies this year will be Haskins and Sweat, and then my breakout stars on the Redskins this year, I'm picking Darius Geis, uh, Josh Dotson uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and on the defensive side of the ball, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. Yeah, uh, they, they, the Redskins definitely have a lot of talent to work with. The, the, their biggest issue has been where they where they're strong in some areas, they they always had holes in the other. So, for the for example, the last couple of years, the or the last season, say the Redskins front seven outstanding. Um, you know they they um, their D line edge rushers linebackers really really good, but their secondary had some issues, which is why they um, they made the, the they they got Landon Collins, who is pretty. Pretty dang good, uh, at least when he was, you know, pretty healthy. Uh, I'm going to have to say I, I did like the Dominic Rogers karate move. One that I'm curious about, though, questioning, when they brought in uh, Eric Flowers. Uh, Flowers has been a liability 
on offense, whatever team and whatever wherever he's played at, he allows sacks, he gets beaten. So I, I question that move a little. But other than that, yeah, the Redskins really haven't done, didn't do anything that stands out as wrong. Oh no, they they did not. So they're in good hands. I mean, yeah, like usually the Redskins are known for making boneheaded decisions, but I think having a, a, a they having a solid off off season like this one will help them going forward. So, what I give the Redskins a nice A in this draft. Uh, well, you I mean when you get a player like Haskins? Plus, they also got Montez Sweat in the first round as well. Um, yeah, I they they also got some little some um some steals in later rounds. So yeah, I I'd say A minus. Yeah. So that being said, uh, so with that being said, uh, now um. Let's let's talk about now. Uh, let's talk. So, so you you agree with my breakout stars in the Redskins? Who are yours? Like I picked Darius Geis and Josh Dotson and uh, and Jonathan Allen and uh, Deron Payne. I think Josh Dotson. This is the time where he needs to step up and be the the guy because Jamison Crowder isn't there anymore. Their other receiver, Paul Richardson, was I think they last year. I think they overspent for him coming from Seattle. So I think this is. Josh Doxon's time to show he can be the number one uh, pass option. Um, and Darius Geis, yeah, uh, he's got to stay healthy. It was a very unfortunate injury he got last year. The dude was a, a baller in college. And on defense, um, yeah, I mean, Payne and Allen, those two guys, that, that duo is very, very solid. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I expect big things from them, and it's unfortunate because they play against Dallas twice a year, and they're very tough to block. So, yeah, they they're growing. So now let's talk about the projected on the Redskins schedule. I look forward to when they play the Patriots Week Five, and when they play their Week One matchup against the Eagles, and Dwayne Haskins' career start. Yeah, uh, you gotta love those matchups. You know, Week One with the heavy play division rival. Uh, That'll be an interesting, tough one because it's on the road at Philly, and response uh, to that hostile crowd and that whole atmosphere. Patriots, obviously, um, you know, could be a could be a good game. And people always joke about how rookie QBs never do well against Bill Belichick. So that'll be interesting to see if uh, Haskins breaks that trend if he is the starter. And yeah, absolutely. So with that being said. Um, now let's talk about. Now let's talk about. Um, let's talk about the Redskins' record this year. I think, I say the Redskins go six and ten, and I think that's going to be enough to save Jay Gruden's job. Any kind of improvement from the past couple of years and showing promise moving forward, especially with a young rookie QB, that I think that'll keep him intact. Um, especially if they, if the coaches, if the management sees that. Uh, Gruden is, you know, a good a good uh, guru for Haskins. So yeah, the the record might not reflect it so much, but Haskins' performance, his development and growth, that might be an encouraging sign for Gruden to still stay in Washington. Yeah, absolutely. So, so with that being said, uh, with that being said, uh, now, uh, what were you saying again? What the record was for the Redskins? I'm gonna say six and ten, maybe seven and nine. I say ten and six in third place. I think that I think 
Dwayne Haskins is going to make them look really good, you know? They could. I, I just I just really worry about th- his lack of uh, passing options, especially like their best their best playmaker Jordan Reed always misses like five to six, five to seven games each year because he he always gets hurt. Absolutely. So now, with that being said, let's predict the order of the NFC East standings in 2019. It's going to go in this order. Um, it's going to be Eagles, Cowboys, Redskins, Giants. I say it'll be Cowboys, Eagles, Redskins, Giants. All right. So now, so that being said, let's move on to baseball. So let's get your reaction first on the Corey Seager hamstring injury. Do you think the Dodgers, do you think the Dodgers are, do you think this hurts the Dodgers or you think the Dodgers can overcome this? I'm leaning more towards overcoming. Uh There's depth, there's position versatility. I, they have Chris Taylor and Kiki Hernandez who both can play shortstop. So, I mean, obviously Seeker's a very good talent and it, it helps having him in the lineup, but it's not like the Dodgers are shorthanded or have no options. They're not shorthanded with this injury. I mean, they would be shorthanded if they lost like Ballinger or Turner to injuries, you know? Yeah. They have, they have a little more depth um, to play, to play the, the middle of the infield. Those, those. So we're fine. I think the Dodgers are fine, but the Dodgers so far are 2-0 and in Corey Seager's absence. So that's a good thing right now. I, I expect that trend to continue tonight when we played the Cubs with you Darvish on the mound. And you're familiar with you Darvish, and you knew the game seven he had. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Yeah, I, I, I remember you Darvish uh, all too well. Oh, what were you saying? I remember, I remember you, Darvish. We know all too well about his uh, risk whenever he goes for those strikeouts. All right. So now, with that being said, the Dodgers lost. They got stopped by the Angels. That was uncharacteristic. And then the the, Ra- the Rangers, however, took – I think they took one of the games against the Boston Red Sox. So, with that being said, um, what were your thoughts yesterday in game one of the Rangers-Red Series? It was uh, it was a good game, you know. We our pitching did everything. Our bullpen was on point. Uh, offense was great. You know, we got Rufnet Odor out of his slump. He had a grand slam. Uh, Rangers right now are are one of the I don't want to say hotter, but one of the more uh, consistently successful AL teams. And honestly, the Rangers would have swept the Red Sox if they didn't collapse in the ninth inning uh, from bad pitching. It they took two of, of four from, from Boston, but could have been better if, if the pitching was more consistent. You said the Rangers took two out of four from Boston? Yeah, and the two losses the Rangers had were both uh, uh, walk-off wins for Boston. Yeah, I mean, so now that being said, uh, let's talk about now uh, games two, three, the Rangers-Red Series. So pitching matchups for the Rangers today and tomorrow, uh, who are they? Well, today the Rangers, um, we have Mike Miner, our ace on the mound, against, uh, I believe it's Rourke. Uh, Tanner Rourke from the Reds. Um, and then tomorrow, it's uh, they, they have Sonny Gray on the mound against, uh, for us, it's Ariel Jurado. Uh, so, uh, both of those pitchers for us have been doing well these last couple of games. As long as our bats can make some noise and rack battle up, um, I see no reason why we shouldn't at least take two of these three games and continue the streak we've been on. 
And then let's talk about games re- recap of games one and two, the Dodgers Cup series. So the Dodgers, however, they started out trailing the game, which I don't care about because, because when it's a long baseball game, it doesn't matter how you start a game. It matters is when I think the Cubs started out good with the home run by by Schwaber to lead off the game, Anthony Rizzo homered, Chris Bryant homered two games in a row. I think the Dodgers pitching has what it takes to quiet this Cubs high prolific offense. It's going to be a battle of it's going to be a slugfest between those two, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you know, in game 1 kudos to the the Dodgers uh management um team just because, you know, Kershaw got rattled a little early on and Dodgers didn't put up any points till the fourth inning, but they stuck with Kershaw because they know he, uh, you know, even if he gets rattled early on, he can still produce. That's why he ended up with the win. So it was good for, uh, it was good for them to keep Kershaw there. And then the Dodgers bats came to life. Of course, Bellinger didn't Bellinger have like a two home runs that first game. Like he, he I guess the cup, he, he's been on fire still. He, he hasn't shown any signs of uh, lighting up. And honestly, Bellinger's a legit, National League MVP candidate right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, so with that being said, um, and also for Game Two last night, it was Rich Hill got rattled early, but he ended up pitching a very good ball game. He's looked good, and I think the bats have been good, especially Matt Bailey with his first homer of the year, and then I think Alex Verdugo is off is out is already off a slump already. Yeah, and that's important, you know. Guys that uh, you that have shown like promise, whenever they get in their slums, that they can come out of it quicker than you expect or quicker that's anticipated. That's that's very key, uh, especially for moments when you get to the playoffs. And my question for you is: even when AJ Pollock comes back, I expect Alex Verdugo to keep starting. Don't you agree? Because I expect Alex Verdugo to go to right field, Bellinger to first, and Muncie to second when Pollock returns you got to find a way to keep your your hot hands in the in the lineup. I mean, that's what that's what the Rangers did. Um we brought Hunter Penson to just do like pinch hitting or or like occasional starts and and DHing. And DHing, but Hunter Pence has uh he's shown uh, like a career revitalization. He's an all-star candidate right now and with with the exception of an occasional day off for rest, we want Pence in our lineup. So I mean, you got to go like the same with Verdugo. You got to go with finding ways to keep your hot bats, your hot, your, your productive players. If they're riding momentum, you don't cut it off and put them on the bench. I think Alex Verdugo starts in right field when A.J. Pollock returns to a starting center field position. Yeah, and that's a, that's a deep outfield. I think the, the outfield will look like this. Peterson, Pollock, Verdugo, infield, Turner, Seager, uh, Muncy, and uh, Bellinger. Right. And I guess for now, while, while Seager's out. And then at catcher, Russell Martin. I have him starting over Austin Barnes because I've, I've been a Russell Martin fan than an Austin Barnes fan. I like Barnes, but I'm more of a Martin guy because I've liked him the longest. Yeah, Martin's solid. I mean, until Seager gets healthy, it will, will, it's probably going to be Taylor and Hernandez splitting shifts at the shortstop position. So let's now preview games three and four. So game three – it's Walker Buehler against you, Darvish. I expect the Dodgers to rock you, Darvish, tonight after he got rocked in Game 7 of the World Series against the Astros. And on Sunday, it's going to be a pitcher's duel. But I think the Dodgers are going to go for the sweep. But originally, I had the Dodgers going three, taking three out of four from the Cubs, you know? 
Yeah, the the, the Cubs' best chances of winning were early on because now these last two matchups, you got um, Bueller and uh, Ryu uh, as the pitchers for the Dodgers. They're t- their top two guys. Um, you know, the the the, Do- the Cubs' best chance of winning probably probably would have been. Uh, you mean Thursday when it was John Lester? Yeah, that's one that the – I mean, but Kershaw is starting to round his form. It's tough. I, the Kershaw or Rich Hill would have been the best chances for the Cubs to get a win. I, I don't see them getting a win against uh, Bueller or, or – Hunjin? Uh, or, or Hunjin, unless it's like one of those games where there's, like, literally no scoring and then it's down to the bullpens. Um, I think but- – I think I think the Dodgers will sweep the Giants and then they'll sweep Colorado. We'll sweep the Giants. Yeah, I think the Dodgers will sweep the Giants when they when the Giants come here on Monday, and then when the Rockies come here on on Friday. I'll be at three of those home games when the Dodgers have that eleven game homestand. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Giants don't play well when they're at Dodger Stadium, and then the Rockies they have an offense, but their pitching is terrible. So uh, the Dodgers can quiet their offense, that's for sure, at Dodger Stadium. You know. But if sure. it's at if it's at Coors Field, it's a different story. All about offense. Sure, absolutely. You know the the weather at Coors Field. That's why Coors Field is a hitter's ballpark. Oh, absolutely. I was at a game at Coors Field, and there was like five home runs hit their total. So it's yeah, absolutely. Man, how did that happen? It's not because they flex their muscles. It's just because the ball carries very well. Yeah, you know the the high elevation, no winds, and it just you know doesn't have to worry about anything. So, yeah, with that being said, well, that's going to end our show, and you have a good weekend, and I'll talk to you next Saturday. Thanks. You too.